Welcome to the Community Pilot Podcast with me, Sergey Generalov. On this show, we invite community leaders to share their experience and reveal the insights of the community building through their inspiring stories. Today, Evgenia Emmets is here to share her story. Evgenia is a multidisciplinary artist and poet who turned into community builder to solve the deforestation problem in Portugal. In this story, she shares her dream of creating an international village set in nature. You will hear how art can help with community building and get to know about the power of networks. She talks about her experience of dealing with situations when your funding gets rejected and how to manage your community with a limited budget. Her goal is to make the voices of common people heard through a film and a series of panel discussions as a part of her eternal forest project where art made people act on their emotions. Evgenia, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure for me. I want to get started today by asking how did you make your way from an artist in USSR to a community builder in Portugal and founding Eternal Forest Project? Uh, thank you, Sergei, for the question. So um, I've been already living in London since 2007. And the reason why I moved to the UK is because I wanted to focus on my art and wanted to explore and research and experiment, which I did. I spent uh, over 10 years in London, where I also met my future husband, Victor. And um, we took together, uh, we made a decision to move to Portugal. And there are many different reasons for this, but one main reason is our common dream, the dream that we share together. And this is the dream of creating a village which is creative, which is international, which is um, set in nature. And after doing some research, we realized that Portugal is a really good place to go. It was also calling us. We already had some friends and some connections there. And we visited a few times. And... Uh, Basically, we didn't really think too long. Uh, we already knew that we want to leave the big city. We were ready for that. And so we made our move after being for three years together. And uh, we arrived in 2017, at the end of 2017, to Portugal. And then what happened is while we were going back and forth and we were meeting new people, there was this uh, moment that we started noticing that uh, while driving across port Portugal again and again, we started noticing that there is this um, landscape that is very persistent, very uh, vast, very big, the landscape of monocultures uh, of eucalyptus. And uh, we also attended one event which was called uh, Reflorestar. It's a movement that is based in Portugal. And uh, it was the first meeting of Reflorestar uh, with probably about 80 to 90 people in the same room spending three days together to think how they can, through process of collaboration and cooperation, tackle this issue. Uh, because the, the problem of um, monocultures in Portugal is associated with massive deforestation a lot of pressure on the land and, of course, a lot of fires, plus what they call desertification, human desertification, which, uh, in other words, is exodus 
from the country and either to the coast, to the big cities, or just people living abroad. And it's a very, very complex problem. So when I was present at this meeting, I was just an observer back then. It was about two years ago. And there was this World Cafe situation where people proposed some ideas to think about and somebody proposed to think how art and culture can help with this issue. And so I went to this group and we were sitting and thinking together and it was very emotional because a lot of people who were sitting in the circle either lost the land in the fires or their friends lost land. So I saw men basically crying in the room. And of course, there was a lot of conversation about um, how can we start planting trees everywhere? We need to start doing something. And of course, uh, planting trees is a great idea. And there is a lot of people doing this here as much as around the world where there is a problem of deforestation. However, um, I started thinking, so maybe it's only part of the answer to this uh, problem, only part of solution. And my idea was that I wanted to go and to hear the voice of the people who live with forests and or next to the forest who live with the land. And so this is how Eternal Forest Project started. It started with this uh, simple motivation to make the voice of common people heard. So as I understand... Eternal Project is a film, right? It's a movie about different people. Uh, you went, you went uh, to talk, take interview from those people. And uh, what inspired you to make a film about this? I understand. But like, how did you approach it? Like, where did you find the money? Where did you get all the equipment um, to do this? So uh, my approach was very simple. There is such a thing that exists for artists. Um, Of course, you can always go and just uh, do the research yourself. But what I did in my case is I applied to an art residency. So art residencies, they exist all around the world and there are different types of art residencies. But basically, it's a space which offers you time and studio and um, a community to think about a specific issue and to work on a specific project. And I was lucky because I managed to find an art residency which was based directly near Goiz. It's an area in central Portugal. It's a small village. Uh, The art residency is called Raiz Vanguarda. It's a really, really beautiful location. They are based in the building of an old, uh, probably 100-year-old primary school. And so I applied to this art residency with a, a proposal which had a few different aspects in mind that I wanted to explore. One of them was to connect with the local community and hold conversations with the people who live in the villages or in this particular village in this case. Uh, then another one was to by being inspired um, from these conversations to write a series of poetry, which will then serve the basis for visual works. And the third aspect was to try to find a forest, a natural forest, or something that we could actually call a forest. And so when the application went through, I did actually apply um, for some grants and for some funding. But unfortunately, it was a very, very tight timeline and all the funding wasn't successful. So I just had to go and do it. And I had um, only a couple of contacts when I went there. When I arrived, 
I immediately started connecting with the local people, with the local community. And it was just like a um, telegraph. So I connected with one person and he told me to go and talk to someone else. Um, and so it went. And in terms of the logistics and technical part, basically Portugal is a really interesting place. It's sm small enough that uh, if you know just a few people, then the community is already there for you. People are really open and they really want to help, especially when they see that you're doing something interesting and they uh, like your work. So uh, I asked my teacher of Portuguese language who actually used to be based in this area and she left after the fires because it was um, it's difficult life it's very difficult to live in countryside where you have this ecological pressure but also where it's very difficult to find work so I asked her if she knows somebody uh, who can hold the camera <laughs> and she gave me contact of her friend uh, Fernando who made the film with me and so I contacted him and Fernando told me the story how he lost everything in the fire how he lost the house he lost all his equipment he is a visual anthropologist and he literally saw his house burn down and he managed to um, escape and he managed to drive away with just one backpack with the tripod and the camera which we actually used to make this film so this is how everything happened it was only one and a half months when everything was done it was the film the interviews the editing the poetry the studio work artworks uh, artist book and finally we did an exhibition in Goish. so everything was squeezed into this one and a half months but it felt like really rich uh, time in terms of connection with people and experience and uh, getting in touch with the local community and really getting to know people and culture and learning the language as well. I love that story. Basically, you applied for funds, you got rejected, and then you went, to, <laughs> went ahead and found uh, uh, people in the community and they helped you. And this is amazing. It's just uh, such a great lesson for everyone to be not afraid to do something and ask for help because people will help and you will find uh, like-minded people who are trying to uh, build uh, and something and they will be inspired by your idea. So as I understand, the initial idea of the Eternal Forest Project, it's a film, right? So you went ahead, you made the movie, and then what next? What do you do next after that? You have a movie. How do you show it? You have no money, right? How do you show it to people? So uh, when I wanted or when I decided uh, to try to make a film, by the way, it's my first film. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I didn't really know, I didn't really think too much what I'm going to do with it. And I thought that uh, the way it usually works in the art world, you make a project, um, whether it's an installation, exhibition, it's a film, it's a series of visual works, uh, you show it once, um, where you produce it, or in, let's say in a museum or art center that is associated with this area. And then uh, if there is interest uh, in this project, somebody else will ask uh, for it to be shown. And it will be exhibited again. But uh, what happened actually with the film particularly, and it proved to be really the best me medium to communicate the story and to communicate the, um, the message, 
that was coming across through this project. When I showed it first time, somebody just mentioned, why don't you go and show it somewhere else? Why don't you go and ask a couple of associations in Portugal? Maybe you can show somewhere in Lisbon and in Coimbra and in some villages that are around. And that's what I did. I basically uh, emailed and messaged on Facebook through my connections and just to people who I didn't know at all. Everyone who I could find, I messaged all the museums. I, I was sending emails all June and July, and I'm still doing it now. However, now I'm being approached by people already uh, without necessarily reaching out so much. So what happened is uh, one after another, there were associations, organizations, uh, libraries who suddenly wanted to make um, a screening of the film. And uh, what I realized is, for me, it's a great opportunity to actually build my own community because it was my first year in Portugal. And I realized that uh, it's just uh, a door opening. So I decided I'm going to try to go to each of the screenings. Some of the screenings were in the center of Portugal, then some of them were in Lisbon, then I organized a few in the south. Uh, in Algarve, uh, and then we went to Porto uh, and did a few there. And so it is continuing. And then we showed in the National Library, and then we had a really beautiful screen in Cinemateca Portuguesa. This is like Museum of Cinema in Lisbon. And now I'm talking to more serious organizations who can also support not just the screenings and discussion with audience, but also panel discussions. So after I've been showing the film probably 30 or 40 times in different locations, wow. uh, <laughs> yeah, some, some idea came up because what I saw is that every screening is very different because it depends on the audience that's sitting in front of you. And of course, uh, people's reactions to the film, because the film is very emotional, people's reactions are quite emotional. And you need to go through the layer of immediate response, which in many ways uh, could be, well, government is not really doing anything, or, you know, there is a sense of abandonment here, who's going to help. So once you go through this layer, then you can have a constructive conversation with people. So what I realized is would be nice to do panel discussions where I could invite some specialists from different areas. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to hear what people have to say from anthropology, philosophy, ecology, art, economics, and so on. And so I started inviting people to this panel discussion. So we've done two so far, and we are organizing third one at the moment in Porto. And we are hoping that they will continue mm -hmm. And I'm also thinking how I can take this film further. But what it allowed me really to do is to build a database of, let's say, 500 people who are personally connected with the project because they are personally connected with me. They've seen it. They know how it is developing. And I'm continuing to have conversations with them through my post, through my mailing list, through my mail mm -hmm. out, through different through through blogging through my website mm -hmm. and so on and it's really inspiring because people always send some recommendations they always send you oh 
why don't you talk to this organization? They should show you film because they feel more people should see it. So why do you think, like, I, I guess if you just, if you just went and showed the PowerPoint slides or just uh, gave a talk, people would react not that emotionally, right? I guess art plays a role where it brings, it like, shows it, it forces people to show their emotions it, to react you either love an art or you hate it you really stay neutral uh why do you think people reacted uh, at your movie the way they did why do you think that like as i understand a lot of people actually uh, after the screening came to you and started talking to you and asking you for either help or giving you advices why do you think of that? Is it um, related to your project specifically, the problem, what? So I think there is something about people sharing their stories and the way perhaps uh, people um, in the film were invited to share their stories. I think this is very important because I actually never really worked with storytelling specifically or intentionally. It just happened this way in this particular situation. And I always think about the other aspects of this project. So, for example, when I did a series visual of the series of visual works with, with this visual poetry and poems, of course, they also touch people in a particular way. But I think they are much, they're less accessible than the film. Those interviews, they're very open. People speak from the heart. These people are very common people. They're not some, they're not the people who own the paper industry enterprises. They're not the people who are in the universities. They're people from the villages. And the way they speak is very interesting. And the way they express themselves, they really speak the truth. And I think that that space that these people are given to speak their truth from the heart is very important. And I think it's quite rare that uh, we have that in our, in our media because our media is incredibly, well, it's very mediated and uh, everything is, uh, goes mm -hmm. through filters. Here there is really no filter. Of course, there is filter of me editing 10 hours of footage into 40 minutes. And of course, it's me trying to convey a specific message. However, people are really giving space to express what they feel, what they think, what they dream of. And I think it touches other people who sit in the audience because the problem is there and the problem is much bigger than just Portugal. I think it transfers... And it transpires across borders because I've shown the film to Russian people, to Spanish people, to people from Northern Europe, and they all understand it. They can all connect with it because A, they can connect with the humanity that is coming through and B, they can connect with the, with the question of the film. You know, what is the relationship that we have with the forest? Because this is really one of the one of the biggest and deepest connections we do have, we have connection between the human beings. And then we have that link between human beings and nature. And I'm even starting to think that perhaps that connection that we think between human and nature, it's like an illusionary thing because, of course, there is connection because we are part of nature. 
But because we separate ourselves from it, we now need to reinvent this connection and to start thinking about it again and feeling through it. Yeah. I want to, like, during your discussion right now, you told me that you start to move this just from Portugal beyond the Portugal, beyond the borders, that the, 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 the same problem exists in the Portugal. It's not just the movie anymore, right? So you're doing the movie screens, you're doing the panel discussions with experts, uh, people start to engage with you online as well. Like you almost like a building community around this um, movie right now. And what was this moment when when you realized that it's not just the movie anymore? It's not just uh, panel discussions, but you actually need to uh, start building communities, helping people to find the solutions, uh, create some projects. What was this moment when you realized that okay, it's it's more than a film right now. I need to mo- do more. Yeah, thank you for this question. It's very hard to put my finger on the exact moment, but um, I think uh, probably from when I finished the project in June until about October. I think in October, uh, when I was at a specific screening in Monchique, and then I gave an interview to the magazine uh, Echo One Two Three, also that are based in Monchique. They really supported the project. When I started noticing how other people are building, building local communities, because without that, it's really impossible to resolve this situation and change, make a shift. So I started asking myself, uh, how can I by uh, doing what I'm doing, being an artist, continuing working on Eternal Forest can help building that community that it could be Portugal-based communities. could be. I mean, even the Portugal-based community is very international now because the influx of international people who are coming here, who are settling, of course, at first in Lisbon and Porto, but they're also going to... Um, other areas in Portugal, they're settling in villages, in abandoned villages, in the areas where they really want to have a different lifestyle, but they also want to help. And I believe that film supports that because film allows people to see that there is already international community there. It's not just a completely deserted area where everybody left. Because there is this idea, there is this illusion that uh, comes also from the media that there is nothing, there is just the landscape. There is nothing that's happening in the center of Portugal. So that's one. Then at some point, I realized that Eternal Forest is not going to be finished this year uh, when, okay, I've done 30, 40 screenings. Where is the, you know, where is the end of it? How long? Am I going to keep organizing the screenings and how long will I be showing the film? And I realized that the whole the whole process of uh, showing the film again and again is transforming me and I'm trying to expand my thinking in terms of where do I take this project further. And um, right now, yes, you are totally right. It is about building community, but right now it's, more about building, uh, bringing partners on board of this project. So bringing organizations that work with art and ecology 
This is number one. Organizations that uh, work with ecosystem restoration uh, with specific intentional communities and um, who can help to look at this project from different perspectives, who can help me to think about it and who I can help to perhaps uh, facilitate and um, ignite some of the work that they do. So give you an example. Right now, I'm thinking about creating a series of uh, experiences in the forest, in the local forest that are not far from where I am based. And these experiences I see as a possibility of bringing people into the forest, but bringing them in a way that it won't be a hike, it won't be just looking at the trees. I would like them to really experience what it means being in silence and being with the forest and listening, listening to their senses, but also listening beyond their senses and internalizing this experience to really feel what it means to be in a natural, biodiverse forest and what is a real forest. It basically goes back to your point that you said earlier is that we are part of nature and we kind of right now separated from nature ourselves we separate ourselves from nature but we are actually nature part of nature and you help people with this experience to feel this and to understand that we are not separate from nature we are in it we 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 the same is it right yes because on one hand uh, on the one hand we depend we're incredibly dependent on the whole ecosystem and if the ecosystem goes out of balance because we are part of the ecosystem and we are literally breathing it and feeding from it, uh, we, of course, are going to suffer. But then, on the other hand, being part of ecosystem also means that we are in charge, not in the way, um, not in the way that we are on top of that system, like the old school kind of idea of human being on top of the whole chain and basically being like the king of the world not in this sense but in the sense that by being part of it and being in charge of it we have responsibility and we actually have this idea that we can approach it in a different way and we can uh, transform our relationship with it which means that we can also transform the crisis that we are currently in. And this crisis is not just about um, the physical expressions, which are concerned with uh, water cycles and deforestation and uh, what's happening with the land, but it is about how we perceive everything that surrounds us and everything that we literally standing on and everything that we are breathing because it feels like we are a little bit at war with everything around but everything is part of us so we cannot be at war because otherwise we basically at war with ourselves so I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this but and this is going to be first experience probably in April or May when it gets a little bit warmer, but I would like, I would like to bring people into the forest and to let them undergo it and undergo this experience and see what happens. So basically, as I understand, you made a movie, then you made a few panel discussions, and you're still continuing 
to bring uh, experts uh, to this discussion and connect experts with local people. By the way, we will need to talk about that as well. Uh, and you're also right now trying to find solutions uh, around the problems of deforestation, how to solve this. And this is one of the solutions that you just described. But how do you, like, as I understand the you made like 30, 40 screenings. This is because uh, there are diverse uh, set of small communities around Portugal in rural areas, in different neighborhoods. How do you make sure that, I mean, you are alone. How do you make sure that you make your solutions spread? How do you help people to adopt your solutions? What kind of work um, community builder, community leader can do there? Uh, so... I did think a lot about that um, in the end of last year, and I wanted to apply for a specific fund uh, in Portugal for sustainability. And I had an idea of making a model for a workshop that then can be spread all around Portugal. And the model would be very simple. It would be facilitated. It would be held by people who understand circle work and who understand community building and who understand non-hierarchical principles of working together with different agents, uh, let's say community members, but also companies and municipality on board. And I really, really thought about it very well. I spoke to a lot of people uh, who now my friends uh, who I trust and everybody loved the idea. And then I stepped back and I decided, oh, no, I'm an artist. I really need to do my work as opposed to become somebody who I'm not. So what I'm doing right now is um, I'm talking to a few people who might be interested in this kind of work, solution-driven, to activate uh, communities, to actually find the solutions by themselves while building community because this is one of the biggest problems when we go to certain villages there are places in portugal where yes communities do exist and a lot of this due to the to the fact that there are also an influx of international people who are going there and they're trying to activate this community however there are a lot of places where the young generation left and the people who stay there they are much older generation. For them, it's much more difficult to do specific work. They don't have motivation anymore to get in the same room together and to be to start being active. So my idea is that there will be people here uh, who would be interested in taking this idea and taking this model of a workshop on board. And I would be then helping them from a purely artistic point of view to create uh, certain visual elements that will go with it, to perhaps see how we can communicate this, um, the outcomes of these workshops better. But of course, this is a very long-term project. This is why when I think about Eternal Forest, for me, it's really eternal because for me, this is going to go uh, as long as my life. And I, this is why I'm not so much in a rush to say, well, this stage is over, let's jump to the next one. For me, it's very important to understand how these things can be done better so that the, the long-term perspective is there, it's accounted for. So when we draw the timeline of this project or let's say the bigger project of reforestation all across Europe, we can say, can we think about 1,000 years? And then thinking about 1,000 years, how can we 
put this idea inside communities so they can start thinking about two, three, four hundred years about the what their great-grandchildren are going to see. And this is incredibly difficult to do because the problem is that people have been conditioned to think about what comes tomorrow, what comes to the end, what comes tomorrow, what they're going to eat, uh, which car they're going to drive, and how many properties they are going to have, and which school their children will go to. But this is really short-term thinking. We need to start thinking three, four, five hundred years at least, because this is the lifetime of a small forest, a young forest, okay? So if we want to do a big reforestation project, which starts from the grassroots and then could blossom in specific places, could be some good examples, and then people will pick it up because I hope it's contagious. I hope that good ideas and realization of these ideas is contagious. And then ultimately the government will step in because the people, I believe, need to step up first and then the government will catch up. That's a great uh, note to uh, wrap up our podcast. I think I just love the story. I think that you're doing an amazing job. And I love that you just stopped and said that I'm an artist. I need to start delegating. I need to bring more people to help me. I think that's a lesson for everyone. And uh, let me finish up with the fireside question. So I will just ask you um, one question. You give me a short answer, like 30 seconds or less. Um, Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, What book would you recommend me to read next? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, 30 seconds. In my mind, there is a whole library of books that I've recently read. Um, Okay, so can I say two books? (laughs) Of course, you can say as many as you like. Okay, so the first book is, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, is Peter Wolbein, The Hidden Life of Trees. That's my mm-hmm. favorite book of the last year. And my favorite writer of this year. <laughs> and I already read one book and I'm reading second one. And picking the third one is uh, basically pick any book by Tim Morton. He writes about our approach to ecology, environment, and art as well. It's absolutely fascinating writer. And the way he writes, a lot of things are being it's surgical it's very interesting and uh, he doesn't take anything for granted so the first book is about this new research that's coming out about really how the forest is and how the trees are and there is fantastic film that goes with it and the second one is more it's very it's very critical so it's it's about thinking how we think about things how we see things great i always want to try uh, new books and probably put it on the list it's always helpful to read something that is out of your domain that just brings so many ideas in my head. Um, let me ask you the next question. If uh, somebody sees a problem like uh, in their community, in their country, in other country, what would you say the first thing they need to do if they want to solve it? If they don't know, like somebody like me, I see the problem, I don't know what to do. What lesson you learned uh, that helped you, and what would you recommend somebody to do in your situation if if you were doing it again? So I think it could be different approaches, but if it was me again, and if I saw something in a specific country or a specific location, I would really go and 
spend some time with people who live there. People of, and ideally talk to people of different generations because they will have very different perspectives. The older people will have memory and will have the stories, oral, oral tradition, um, which the younger generation maybe doesn't have access to anymore. They don't want to know, they reject for some reason. So you always need to try to tap into this uh, collective um, memory and collective present and then ask people about their dream. And when and that could be a very problematic thing for people to talk about, which was in my case actually. But yes, talk to the local community, spend some time with them. That would be I my answer. <laughs> ask people about their problems, ask people about their dreams. It's it's just an amazing. Uh and in your experience, uh what is one or two uh most powerful tools that you used in 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 experience? In, a, in your journey to build communities, to talk to people, to organize them, to help them facilitate discussions? Well, in my particular case, in uh, the case with the Tunnel Forest, I brought people to the forest because I was lucky I found a very beautiful place, which was um, abandoned as agricultural, old agricultural place, and it became a forest. So I just brought the whole community that I could gather into that forest and we did a really beautiful experience with them. And I think all of us will remember it, of course. And the second part is celebration, which again was that particular moment because I think if you uh, work with a community on a specific project during a specific period of time, you have to have these moments where you get together and you just celebrate whatever it is. And you can, of course co-create the whole celebration and in our case it was it was a wonderful picnic everybody brought food it was a wonderful day it was outside and we had both sensory um, spiritual experience uh, where i took people down to the river inside this wonderful magical place but also people had a gathering and uh, it was very uh, special for them because they don't do it anymore. They used to do a lot of that themselves, but a lot of them were telling me that they stopped doing it. So for them, I think it was um, it was beautiful. And for me, of course, it was a way of acknowledging their presence and their own work and acknowledging the community as it is. Eugenia, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. You inspired me. I will go on this weekend, go to the forest. We'll spend a day of you. It's just an amazing to hear your story and your journey. I hope to hear you on the next episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Community Pod Podcast. You can also find upcoming episodes on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundClouds. Please subscribe there and stay tuned.